a podcast series about Canadian family caregivers, their diversity, their roles, their experiences, and what they've learned along the way that might help each of us to care in a new way. In this show, we are keeping things grounded in real experience and remembering that those experiences are unique from one person to another. In each episode, we meet a new family caregiver and chat with them over a cuppa. Welcome to the Family Caregiving Series. My name is Sipton. I'm in the final year of my undergraduate degree in physiology and pharmacology, and I'm trying to pursue a career in healthcare. And I have a unique interest in what different perspectives of health are and what they might look like for different people. And I'm Catherine, but everyone calls me Katie. I'm a PhD student in psychology with many interests focused around people's lived experience of significant transitions. I'm passionate about learning from older adults and their families, be that through my research or volunteer work. Each Cup of Care episode has three segments. In the first, we'll introduce the topic of the day. Then in the next, we'll speak with a family caregiver who will share their story with us. And in the last section, we'll try to reflect on what we learned together. This episode looks a bit different than the subsequent ones, as in future episodes, we will be joined by a family caregiver to hear their experience. Today, however, we want to take an opportunity to share a bit more about this project and why we got involved. Katie's been involved from the earliest days of the project. So I think I just want to start by asking you, Katie, uh, could you speak about where this idea for the podcast about caregiver experience came from? The project started out with a group of people coming together and talking about what information do family caregivers need? Now, I have an interest in lived experience. I've mentioned that previously. And that drew me to this topic and this idea of lived experience as being valuable. And I didn't want to be interpreting other people's lived experience. Instead, I wanted people to actually be able to tell their own stories. That resulted in a bunch of additional collaborations. Why do you think these um, this information or these stories are so important to hear? Who do you think can relate to hearing these stories? Family caregiving can be really isolating. And it's a comfort to know that other people are having similar experiences. The other thing is family caregivers' voices often get lost in the conversation. There's this tendency for caregivers to be invisible in the background. I wanted to make that invisible a little more visible by allowing them to share their stories. Anybody listening to it can take something away from it. What you take away is going to be a little different depending on your own lived experience and where you're at. But I think there will be something for everyone from this project. Subtain, I want to turn the question back to you now. I'm curious, what drew you to the project or what do you think will be the most interesting? So unlike you, I haven't been a part of this project from the very beginning. So I didn't quite have that um, process you described of how the project evolved and how your feelings towards it evolved too. But I think in terms of like a healthcare lens, which uh, I think is what initially drew me to this project, I've always had the idea of physicians and nurses and pharmacists having this very influential effect on our health. But as I grew up and I learned more, I got exposed to more perspectives. I also learned that things like your age, your gender, your culture, socioeconomic status, all of these things also have very large impacts on your health. So although health professionals are crucial to my well-being, I understand that, but it's also their understanding of our unique differences and experiences that I think ultimately help guide them in uh, treating us as best as they can. Caregiving is obviously a very big, important part of our health, especially as we age and enter into the later stages of our life. Sometimes that goes a little ignored and it's not as obvious and it's not as at the forefront some other things about healthcare usually are. So I think listening to these unique experiences that caregivers can share um, 
I think can shine a light on how central some of these external factors can be to our health, like culture or age. Right now, a very large part of my identity is the fact that I am a student. And right now I want to learn as much as possible. The best way I can do that is just to listen to stories and the experiences that people can share. Uh, I think this podcast is going to bring a lot of unique perspectives about caregiving and how it can look in different contexts, which on a personal level, I, I see incredible value in as an academic, sure, but I'm also as a son, right? I have a mother and a father who one day may need my help, who may need my care. And I think listening to these stories and experiences are going to be really helpful when it comes to that. And I think even if one person, you know, even myself can learn something new, I, I think this podcast uh, will have value. So we've brewed up a few ideas to share with you today. So currently, one in four Canadian adults identifies as a family caregiver. So this is a topic that a lot of people can relate to, my family included. When you think of the term family caregiver, what comes to your mind? I think for many Canadians, age and gender plays a huge role in how we think about family caregiving. We often imagine that sort of mother supporting a child, especially a child with unique needs, or a middle-aged daughter supporting her older adult parents. I think you make a really good point, but truth is caregivers are as diverse as well people. They can be men, women, children, parents, grandparents, siblings, relatives, and even friends or neighbors. Would chosen family also be family caregivers? And I think that's a really important point. Not everyone has a living relative or it's close to their family. Many people rely on chosen family or people who might not be biologically related. What's important here is that we recognize that when we use the term family caregiver, we are referring not just to biological family, but also family of choice. In this first episode, I'd actually like to narrow in on Katie's caregiving experience. My family, particularly my mom and grandma, with the support of other family, friends, and the long-term care system, supported my great-grandmother, who lived to be 103, with her progressively changing care needs. As we lived in a relatively geographically distant area, and so sometimes we were acting as long-distance caregivers, meaning we couldn't show up every day. You mentioned that you know you have some personal experience in caregiving. Um, would you mind just describing what that experience has been like? Caregiving, if I think of it in a more broad experience, I do some caregiving along the way, both for my great-grandma and just as importantly for my grandma. I jokingly refer to myself as my grandma's tech support. My great-grandma lived in a long-term care home for most of the last part of her life, I lived in the same community as did my mom. I was living with my parents at the time. But my grandma lived about an hour away, making her a long-distance caregiver. So someone who has to travel a significant distance to provide care. This changed sort of the dynamic of caregiving for our family because of the fact that grandma couldn't be there every day. It just was not at all feasible for her to drive an hour each way every day to provide care, which meant that there was a pretty high reliance on the long-term care system to fill that gap because there was no family member who could readily provide that care. The other thing that I think is interesting to note is that my grandma herself was an older adult. So because my great-grandma lived to be so old, my grandma was in her 70s and still providing care for her mother, which is a unique experience. And one that's a little different from 
what we might conventionally think of when we think of children caring for elderly parents. But this is a group of people that's likely to grow as people live longer. And we have a generational thing going on right now where people still had children relatively young, but they're living longer. So their adult children are often older adults still caring for their parents. And that's a little bit of a unique situation and provides some unique challenges. Katie, you brought up a lot of uh, interesting points. How is it like kind of receiving that initial news of, you know, you might have to take on some more responsibilities than you had to in the past? How do you come to terms with that idea? The interesting thing about a lot of progressive cognitive impairments is that they tend to come on fairly slowly. And if you're actively involved in care, you gradually start to take on more responsibility and you don't really even necessarily realize all the responsibility you're taking on until you look back on it later. And for some people, there's a very clear moment of diagnosis, but that's not the case for everybody. And I think especially when we talk about older adults who might already be in a care environment before the majority of the cognitive impairment becomes really apparent, you don't necessarily notice that sort of shifting of roles. It's a very gradual experience, or at least it was largely for my family, I was thinking about my own caregiving experience, this realization that for me, I don't really have any clear memories of my great grandma, where there wasn't some degree of cognitive impairment. I don't actually remember her being able to identify me. The sort of cognitive impairment piece is just sort of a fact of my experience of my relationship with my great grandma. And I don't really think of it as necessarily a bad thing at all. It just simply was how that relationship worked for me and her. I can remember, and she got very, very annoyed with me for this one. At one point, we had gone out shopping and it was my mom, my grandma, my great grandma and me. And my mom and grandma had gone off to look at something. So we were just sitting on a bench waiting. And my great grandma didn't realize that that she should know me. We had the most pleasant conversation about her past and about who she was based on this assumption that I was a kind stranger talking to her instead of um, her great granddaughter. And for me, that was actually a really cool experience because I got to learn a lot of really interesting things about who she was when she was younger. And it was neat to get to have that conversation with her because there wasn't this assumption being made about what I should or shouldn't know about her. And it was a lot of fun. Although once she realized that she should have known me, it really did bother her that she didn't. I think it was a great experience. She probably would have disagreed with me on that one. That's a lovely story. I, I really like the conversation that you guys probably had on that bench. That must have been must have been very nice. Do you think you could describe what a normal week might look like for your grandma and your mom as her caregiver? My grandma acted as a caregiver from significant geographic distance. So she lived relatively far away. That's important because it meant that she might only come up once a month or so. And it meant that the sort of pattern of caregiving took on a pretty specific routine that I was often pretty heavily involved in when I think back on it. It almost always started with a shopping trip. Graham had called the care home ahead of time and asked whether there was anything that needed to be picked up for great grandma. And there often was something that was needed. We might be off to find a pair of pants before we went to visits. We'd go to the care home and 
we would often try and get there somewhere around a meal time. Uh, meals acted as a really nice sort of way of feeling useful and spending time because especially towards the end of her life, my great grandma required assistance to eat. And that was something that grandma could be doing that meant that a staff person didn't have to do it. My great grandma lived the last part of her life in a care home that was laid out very much like you would think of as a home. It had a conventional kitchen and a relatively large table that residents would often be sitting around depending on the time of day. So I can remember sitting at the table with grandma and great grandma, spending time helping with whatever task was needed in that moment, all of those sort of little things that you don't necessarily think about, but contribute to that sort of sense of care and what it meant to provide care. What about some of those situations that, you know, like you said, are a little more extreme, that are perhaps a little more difficult to deal with than others? How would you describe those experiences? Emotionally, there's this lifetime of memories with a person that isn't the person that's now necessarily sitting in front of you. For other members of my family, that transition was quite difficult in the sense that they had to think about who was actually in front of them, not the person that they knew. I think especially for children who have this sort of image of their parents, gradually over time, there's this weird morphing that's happening where the person in front of you requires your care instead of being the person providing you with care. And that's a little bit of a challenge for people to wrap their heads around. But the other side of it is just simply practicality. A person living with cognitive impairment requires a pretty high level of oversight, especially at certain points along the journey, because they may be doing things that aren't necessarily safe. As a caregiver, your responsibilities flip where instead of them taking care of you, it's the other way around now. Maybe you can't directly speak for your mother, but even just for you at a distance, do you think that those additional responsibilities and roles that you have to take on, do they conflict with the other roles in your life? I think that they can. I don't know that they always do, and they don't for everyone. I was a student, and I was also working part-time throughout most of this. The very last part of my great-grandma's life, I actually was not living in the same community as her and my mom. I had moved to go to school by that point. But certainly there were significant points in time where I was in the same community and as a result, more actively involved because I was physically there. And there were moments of going like, this needs to happen for great-grandma, but how are we going to make this happen given all of these other variables that are in play? How did you go from having this experience of family caregiving to researching family caregivers? People have this assumption that my experience of family caregiving is sort of directly maps onto my intention and my interest in researching with family caregivers. Well, that is true to a point. I had a whole bunch of other experiences that also very strongly shaped my interest in researching with caregivers. I also think about my experience, not just with residents themselves, but also with their families, and especially uh, families of residents with more significant cognitive impairments, because then family takes on a much bigger role in helping me to understand that the person that's sitting in front of me had a whole bunch of lived experiences that go well beyond the walls of the care home that I'm volunteering in. 
One of my favorite lunch dates at one of the care homes was a family caregiver and the person they were caring with who they would have lunch late relative to the rest of the home because it was quickly discovered that uh, this resident ate a lot better if there were fewer distractions around. I got to sit down and talk to this caregiver. She told me all of these crazy stories about the experience of her family member. So that's part of where my interest in hearing the stories of family caregivers came in, was this realization that family caregivers kind of hold a key to helping us understand older adults with significant cognitive impairments. They often are more than willing to tell their stories if you're willing to sit and listen. I volunteer with Sask Abilities, actually, and although I didn't work with a lot of older residents like you did, I was mainly working with kids, so that's a pretty different experience, and I'm not sure if that even qualifies as caregiving. Maybe you can let me know afterwards, but I think this experience was pretty was pretty eye-opening for me in the sense that caregiving, obviously, especially if it's, I guess, in a younger age demographic, can look very different and can be very unique on an individual basis. So some people naturally are going to require more assistance than others. And I think that assistance too can be in a lot of forms. Sometimes it could just be, you know, helping out with small tasks or just being a friend who can talk to them, listen to them, you know, share your own stories, listen to their stories. Others also may not need your assistance at all, just occasional small tasks. So I think the best I could do, and I realized this maybe you know, a month into volunteering is just kind of let them guide me and let them, like they let me know when the time is appropriate or if they need help or what kind of help they need. I think it just really sums up to just being a, a good friend, a good neighbor, if you will. Do you think that being a good friend or a good neighbor carries over to being a good caregiver too? I really do. There are a couple of interesting things that I actually want to bring up from what you just said. One is the idea of letting the care recipient guide their own care. Whenever possible, that's the most ideal situation is let the person who needs the assistance tell you what do they actually need help with and what can they do on their own? Because sometimes they can do more than you think. And also that idea of is volunteering or being a good neighbor equivalent to or can it be used to facilitate moving into a caregiving role? I think the answer is very much yes. Older adults in particular are the fastest growing segment of our population in Canada right now. There's going to be a greater potential need for some level of support within all of our communities. So if we write off being a good neighbor or being a good friend as not being caregiving, we exclude a whole population of people who might be providing informal support that facilitates people in our communities to continue to be active members of our communities. And, and it's bi-directional. Caregiving isn't necessarily a unidirectional thing. It can be bi-directional. I'm providing some sort of a service that enables this person to continue to live at home. But on the flip side, they're providing me with a service as well, but not necessarily something that anyone would think about in that way at least from my limited experience and also from the perspective of only being the caregiver. I think that relationship between, you know, who you're caring for and yourself is a very collaborative one. And I think that really took the pressure off of me, especially when I was working with those kids, because when I first started, I was very nervous. I obviously didn't want to do something inappropriate. I didn't want to hurt anybody. I didn't want to make any mistakes. I was very nervous. And I think I was like 
17 or 18 at the time when I started. So I was pretty nervous, <laughs> just letting them guide me and tell me what they need and just understanding that, you know, they understand what they need really took some pressure off of me. So I think that's really important. Thank you, Katie, for willing to be um, a part of our very first interview on this series. The impact of listening to people's unique stories is really the whole purpose of this Cup of Care series. For those of you listening in, during our next episode, Katie and I will be sitting down with a family caregiver to learn their story. And we promise it won't be quite like anyone else's. I can't wait for you and our listeners to meet our next family caregiver guests obtain. But before we wrap up, remember how earlier we said there were three segments to Cup of Care? The last of each episode is a time to recap and reflect on what we learned from family caregiver stories. What are your thoughts about this discussion today? Some of the best parts of caregiving can just be those um, mundane experiences, those day-to-day activities that you do, just go towards spending quality time with the, per- with the person or the people that you care about. And it doesn't always necessarily only affect just the caregiver or just the person receiving care. Sometimes you know, the caregiver has daughters like you, Katie. Um, they could have siblings. They could have other people that are, you know, directly being impacted by these new roles and responsibilities that you have to take on. It's a gradual process. You aren't always shocked by learning that, oh, now you have to be a family caregiver. It can also just be like a normal transition. It's a, it's a part of life. I'm grateful to you to share your story. And I think it's also going to be really interesting to hear some of the more stories that come on the show. Well, thanks so much for listening to the show this week. And if you're a family caregiver, thanks for all the work you do and for taking time to be with us today. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts or watch for these and other resources at appliedinterprofessionalresearch.com and www.spaltc.ca. This series was produced in collaboration with creative partners from the Strengthening of Palliative Approach and Long-Term Care Team and Saskatchewan Long-Term Care Network. Advisory support for this project was provided by Dr. Natasha Hubbard-Murdoch from Saskatchewan Polytechnic and Dr. Paulette Hunter from St. Thomas More College. Technical support was provided by Media Production Specialist Greg Olson from Audio Visual Services at Saskatchewan Polytechnic. In addition to Saskatchewan Polytechnic's financial contribution, production of this podcast has been made possible through a financial contribution from Health Canada. The views expressed herein do not necessarily represent the views of Health Canada. Lastly, as with many things in life, this project would not have been possible without the direct contribution of family caregivers. 